Hey, welcome to another episode of Open Door Policy, where each episode we meet with a different joyful missionary disciple to see how that person is unleashing the gospel in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Today, we're blessed to have Nicholas Christock with us. Nicholas, how are you? I'm doing fantastic today. How are you? I'm great. And as always, the real star of the show, Danielle Center. Danielle, how's life? Life is good. How are you? Have you had any graces lately? I have. You know, today is um, the feast day of St. John Paul, or not the feast day, but the birthday of St. John Paul II. And so I have just been really grateful praying about what a gift John Paul was to the church and in my own life and had some chance to, to pray and think about how he helped shape my own discipleship of Jesus and my priesthood. So I've been super grateful. Did you ever uh, see that. him? Uh, you mean, did he see me? Is that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I did. I saw him in Detroit and uh, in Toronto, and then I saw him in Rome as well. So three times. Oh, wow. uh, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. How about you, Danielle? Um, one, I'm going to give a shout out to someone who might not even be a listener, but this past, you know, how it's springtime. So we've had like rainy day, sunny day, rainy day, sunny day on a sunny day. Uh, I have a tandem. I bet the listeners don't know that. And, uh, Jesse, who is my boyfriend and I went on this tandem, we rode 13 miles on this rails to trails in the freaking middle of nowhere and got a flat tire. We were like North, 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 super sunk. Didn't know what to do. I called my brother cause I thought that his in-laws lived around there. And he was like, no, but my buddy Kevin has a summer home up there. Let's call him. So in the middle of a pandemic, this guy comes out, doesn't even like really know me and rescues me and Jesse from the middle of nowhere. So shout out to someone who's helpful. That's that's that named, was my named grace. Kevin. <laughs> named Kevin. Good work, Kevin. Uh, well, hey, Nicholas, we're going to get to know you a little bit through doing some rapid fire questions. So you ready? Awesome. I'm ready. All right. We got 10 of them for you. So I'm going to give them to you and then Danielle will break them open afterwards. So let me ask you, what was your first job? My first job was a handyman at an engineering facility. All right. What's the most beautiful church you've been to? It was in Australia. Um, It was called uh, St. Matthew's Catholic Church in Logan Hall. What's What's the most recent song you have stuck in your head? Oh, I've been killing Jason Mraz's songs lately, um, and he has a song called Quiet. In what fictional world would you want to live? Anything in uh, relation to where they can teleport. (laughs) What's your favorite breakfast food? A fruit smoothie. What was the location of one of your most most powerful encounters with God? Brisbane, Australia. What Bible verse do you really love? Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Right, suffering servant. Uh, And who's the most famous person you've met? David Blaine, the magician. Give me a quarter. Who is your hero? My father. And what is your favorite book you've ever read? Other than the Bible, my favorite book I've ever read would be a book called Traction. Awesome. Ooh. All right. I'm going to come back. So Australia theme came through a few times. How long were you in Australia and what was going on that brought you there? I lived in Australia for uh, two years. Um, 
at the end of my, towards the end of my college degree, all the opportunities in front of me here in the U.S. were just nothing that I thought was going to be my purpose. And um, I was playing uh, Division One college soccer at the time, and never in a million years would have thought that soccer could have taken me to the next level. This door opened uh, towards the end of that senior season for me to play overseas. And I said, you know what? None of the opportunities here are what is going to be my purpose. So I'll take the only door that isn't one of those. And that's to sign a contract and move 9,155 miles away to a continent where I didn't know a soul. And whereabouts were you in Australia? I was on the East Coast in a city called Brisbane. Um, and so mm-hmm. that is really just smack right in the middle. And so the first question people ask is, oh, is that close to Sydney or the Sydney Opera House? And it is about a 12-hour drive north of Sydney. Australia is really big, but it kind of looks small <laughs> on a globe. But um, yeah. it's really cl- close to the equivalent of driving from north New York down to, to the bottom of Florida. Yeah. I've You know, I went to Australia for uh, World Youth Day back in, what, 2008-ish? So oh, nice. um, I've been there too. But I was around Sydney. So in Brisbane you had an experience. What was that? Um, so it was, uh, you know, moving to a country and a continent where you don't know a soul is, um, I don't know, as tough as it sounds, I guess, if it sounds tough, but I was never, I was not prepared for how much effort it was going to take to build a life from scratch. And we're talking new routines, new friends, um, find a cell phone, find a car, find the coffee shop that you go to when you need uh, to get a warm drink to warm you up, like everything starting from scratch. And uh, at the beginning, all you have is yourself and your God. And I have never been closer, felt closer to God than than in that time when it it really was just me on my own with my Bible on Friday nights, um, just really pouring into the the word and um, on that journey with him. Okay. That's super beautiful. So teleportation, does that have something to do with the fact that it takes a million years to fly to Australia? (laughs) Yeah, it could be a part of it. Um, Just, you know, movement is so inefficient. If we could just be where we need to be when we need to be there, um, imagine how much more we could get done in there, wherever there is. Wow. We are so much like, I don't really enjoy walking because I'm like, this is like, I love walking, like hiking, but I'm like, dude, I could be running right now. Yeah. Okay. And then your father, can you tell me a little bit about him? Why is he your hero? Yeah, he's uh he is a, an amazing example and has always been an amazing example to me of what service and sacrifice means. Uh, he has worked so hard and still works to this day and uh, provided me with you know, so many open doors to live the life that I wanted to live. And um, if I had, you know, just if I had been born into a different circumstance, we may not, you know, I may not have been able to do anything uh, to get onto, you know, to in a conversation with you guys, just uh, the opportunities that I've been given because of his uh, sacrifices are tremendous. And I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to, to pay back, uh, what he's given me uh, to the world. Okay, one last question. Yeah. What's your best fruit smoothie recipe? <laughs> so you're going to want to throw in some kiwi, some banana, some mango, and some blueberries. Yes. And Good. then the subtle avocado and spinach. And I know that you might say, ew, wow. avocado, spinach, greens, but you don't no, even taste I it. Love the fruit stuff. overpowers it, and you still get the health benefits of the avocado and smoothie. Throw some ice and some water, blend it up, and you're out the door. Thank you. Thank you so All much. Right.
So, Nicholas, now that we've gotten to know you a little bit, tell us about your relationship with Christ and how your Catholic faith became important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, and everyone connects to things in a different way, and it's it's a two part journey. And one, just figuring out you know the method or how you connect to something, and then starting to connect with that thing. And for me. Uh, my journey with Christ really started when I started to pour into reading the Bible, getting close to the Word. I'm incredibly cerebral. I'm, you know, the escape room junkie. I love brain puzzles and mind twisters and all those things. And so I love, you know, puzzles and solving things and seeing things fit together in a larger picture. And when I started to read the Bible and just started to see how how incredible of a book it was written by all these different authors at different times, but these pieces fit together and these messages were consistent. That was to me, you know, was we're really firing in the cerebral part of my brain um, and really showed me that, wow, like there's, there's just a way bigger plan here and I need to learn more and I need to really, really dive into my faith. And um, so I really think um, God found me, in the way that I, you know, connect, which is through a cerebral kind of uh, entry there and learning so how, from that. How I, old were you, Nicholas, when this kind of first started to, to grow in your life? Yeah, I, it really was um, when I was in college at Oakland University. You know, I, I definitely had had a relationship with Jesus prior to then. Grew up, went to Catholic school, Our Lady Victory, and then Detroit Catholic Central High School. And of course, you know, there was a relationship with Jesus throughout that time. Uh, in college was when uh, was when it started to grow more, and maybe that was also a product of myself growing more. and And I think I all the kind of foundations had been laid, and then when I moved to Australia and really was on my own, I really think the foundation was solid for the fire just to be set ablaze. And that was when it you know things really ignited when I was on my own. You know, um, in the last question of Rapid Fire, we say, what's your favorite book? And sometimes people try to say Bible. And I am like, wait a second, that is a collection of books. So <laughs> like in this collection of like history and poetry and song, do you did you like have a particular book that really started to strike you or was it kind of the whole piece? Well, I'm extremely fascinated by uh, looking at the prophetic books, looking at Daniel to Revelation, et cetera. There's so many puzzles there, but the story of Job to me is mm. incredibly powerful. And I definitely feel some days like a Job in the sense that, oh my gosh, you know, I've lived such a, such a great life so far. And, uh, you know, I thank God every day for putting a hedge of protection about me and the people that I love. But there are some days that I wonder just, you know, God, I just pray that I would still be as faithful to you if I my situation turns the way Job's situation turns. Because you interact quite a bit with people in harder situations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I do. Yeah, it's uh as I when I left to out for Australia to find my purpose. Um, I, you know, didn't know where I was going to find it, but I ended up finding it working in the nonprofit world and in, in charity. And so uh, today I'm the executive director and founder of a charity called Fleece and Thank You, where every single day I'm, you know, connecting with kids in the hospital who are going through an incredibly tough and unfair time and connecting with their families who are going through the darkest time in their life. And certainly being around that environment consistently uh, is a surefire way for you to count your blessings. Uh, there's also some challenges that come with working in that environment, compassion, fatigue, et cetera. But uh, for me, I, you know, I've definitely seen, seen situations and, uh, you know, 
those are, I'm incredibly lucky to not, you know, be in those situations personally. I just am, you know, working in a, in a sphere where I'm able to do my best to try to help. Well, you're accompanying people. That's a big thing. Sorry. Go ahead, Father Steve. No. So just tell us a little bit about what Fleece and Thank You does. Yeah, absolutely. When I, uh, when I was moving home from Australia in 2015, um, I knew that I wanted to start something to help kids in the hospital. Um, from working with kids, I knew how badly disconnected kids going through a hospital treatment journey are, how that isolation is extremely traumatic on their psychosocial self. And uh, we were having, you know, I was meeting with kids who were beating battles with cancer, but they were worse off mentally leaving that hospital mm-hmm. room than when they started. And I said, there's just, you know, I just want to do something to help. And uh, as I, as I landed in Michigan, I received a text message from my twin sister, who at the time was a pediatric oncology nurse at Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor. And she sent me this text that said, Hey, Nick, when you're home and you had a free minute, you should make a blanket for a kid in the hospital, just a blanket. And I'm aggressively curious. I started asking tons of questions. Well, how many blankets do you need? How often do you need them? And her answers back to me were, well, we always need blankets. They dramatically Mm -hmm. change the hospital room. and We never have enough. And I'm scratching my head that one of the best children's hospitals in the country wouldn't have enough of something that they need. So that day I picked up the phone and I called every children's hospital and unit in the state of Michigan and everyone gave me the same answers. They said, Nick, we always need blankets. They dramatically change the room. We never have enough. And I said, look, this is not rocket science. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, but I know I can start this. I know I can just figure out how many kids get sick every year and make that many blankets. And even more than just the color and the comfort that I wanted to guarantee to be on that hospital bed, I wanted to give these kids connections. So I developed a video message technology that allows the blanket maker to make a video that goes along with that blanket the child who receives that blanket can watch that video of who made their blanket. And the coolest part is they can actually send a message back to the blanket maker. That's so cool. Yeah, that, that's an awesome way to not just provide for the material needs that uh, these kids have, but also the relationship uh, between the the person who makes it and the person receiving it. You know, our, our faith is meant to be not just kind of like, hey, here's a material resource that you can take and and go on your way, but it's meant to point to a deeper reality about how God fills our 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 heart with relationships, so that we can know uh, the Lord's infinite love for us. So that that's an awesome organization, Nicholas. Thank you very much. Um, one thing that is really I know to be true in my life is when you show up to like quote unquote help someone, a lot of times they end up helping you and teaching you things. Um, have you? In what ways have you seen like growth and change in yourself through all this? Yeah, the work that I do has for me provided a an amazing definition of resilience to meet families who are going through the darkest time and still have their head held high to meet kids who have been through something, you know, that no kid should have to go through. They're having childhood taken away from them for for years on end. resilience is a lesson that I have been taught over and over through the work that we get to do at Fleece and Thank You. Do you have any, um, any like dreams for the future? Do you still hope to grow or are you like looking in new directions? What's your, what's your plan for this? Yeah. For, so Fleece and Thank You, we know that in the state of Michigan, there are 30,000 kids a year that go into the hospital and have to stay overnight. And so we're on an annual mission to make 30,000 blankets every single year 
year after year so that every kid across the state, no matter what time of year they get sick, no matter where in the state they are, there's a colorful blanket and video message waiting for them. And from there, we're going to be the first state to really have figured out the playbook for how you blanket an entire state. We'll take that playbook and we'll take it to the Midwest, which needs about 151,000 blankets. And then from there, we'll take that regional playbook and take it to other regions and eventually get to the entire country, which needs about 964,000 blankets so that every kid in the United States who gets sick and goes in for treatment is guaranteed to have color, comfort, and connection waiting on the bed for them. You know, just to, to speak another word about your um, your testimony here, Nick Nicholas, I know you're... Uh, you know, you, you talked about how it was going to Australia, not really knowing anyone and how that helped you mm-hmm. grow in your faith. Um, what an incredible opportunity it is for, you know, when we're put in situations that we don't expect or we're kind of outside of our comfort zone, that God can speak that word to us and challenge us and have us have us grow for that moment, but also so that afterwards, you know, we can be about his mission. So to me, I hear you telling this story about how, you know, going to Australia and following something you love, something you wanted to do for a short period of time, how that was a bit of a a crucible uh, in which God kind of grew your faith so that as you came back, you were ready to hear what he might be asking you to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. And crucible it was at times to, to leave what you know to be your support system is incredibly tough. And what I found toughest is I, I'm guilty of having fear of missing out, like super bad mm. fear of missing out. And uh, there's only you know so many times that you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't be there to where it eventually just gets old in your head. And you're like, really, am I saying this again? I'm sorry, I can't be at the birthday party. I'm sorry, I can't be at Mother's Day. I'm sorry, I can't be at this holiday. Um, and you really start to feel more and more alone during those times. Um, but thankfully, there was a good God for me to turn to. And one of the, the biggest challenges, I would think, would be the toilets going in the opposite direction. Oh, my down, gosh. Down, oh, down. it's yeah. terrible. They just are busy and stare at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really appreciate you taking the time to share with us a little bit, too. Okay, Nicholas, Father Steve, I was thinking as you were talking, Nicholas, about these children, I was thinking about uh, an experience that I had in my life about how a child impacted my faith. And I was thinking I could share that. And then if you guys want to jump in, go for it. But one time I was teaching children's liturgy at a church and the gospel that week was the one where uh, someone comes to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment, right? So I was like, all right, with these children, I'm going to like review the 10 commandments and then like ask that like lesson plan was review 10 commandments, ask them which one they think is the most important and then come in with Jesus's answer. So I asked these kids, I was like, who remembers um, like the original commandments? What were the first things that God instructed us to do? And this little girl raised her hand and she said, um, to breathe. And I was like, that's true. Like our first commandment was just an invitation to live not not anything more so that always like kind of stuck with me and and kind of impacted the way that I saw God um as someone who invites us to live and I'm thankful for that child's faith and I was just wondering Nicholas do you have any experiences like that of a, a child who helped impact your faith 
I do, and I thank you for sharing your your story. I um I used to work for Make a Wish Australia, which if you haven't heard of Make a Wish, they grant wishes for children with life threatening illnesses. And there's something called wish granting, which is a meeting where you get to sit down with a child and their family, and you it's the best meeting ever because you just get to hear about their most cherished wish. If it's I want to go to the moon, it's cool. What kind of rocket? What color is it? What's inside the rocket? You know, you're asking all questions with no filter just to hear what that is. And it was uh, sitting across the table from a 16 year old girl named Chloe and her mother, and my fellow wish granter was to my left, and uh, we're getting to know the family. She's telling us about her treatment. And then we get down to the nitty gritty. We say, okay, Chloe, here we go. What is your most cherished wish? And she looks at us and says, I want for my wish to go to the Great Barrier Reef. And her mom had a visible kind of reaction to her saying this. And I didn't really know what to say next because her mom seemed really taken off guard by this answer. And so I just let the moment be. And her mom eventually said, you know, uh, sorry uh, for my awkward reaction but Chloe, are, are you sure you, you hate fish? Like why you don't want to go, why do you want to go to the Great Barrier Reef? And Chloe said, no, mom, I do. Um, and we said, okay, are you sure? And she said, yeah, the first day that I was diagnosed with leukemia, my dad looked me in the eyes and promised me that he would be at every single treatment. And he came to every single doctor's appointment and treatment. And he was at so many that he lost his job. And all he wants, you know, one of his bucket list items is to go to the Great Barrier Reef. And so to see a selfless girl using her wish to honor her father was an incredibly powerful moment. And it reminds me of an, another favorite verse, to whom much is given, much is required, which is a verse I love so much because I think the, the secular version is to whom much is given, much is expected. But there's a huge difference between an expectation and a requirement. Things can happen if expectations are let down, but requirements have to happen for other things to happen. And I think I feel about my life much the way that Chloe felt about her wish in that I've been given so much and to honor my father, both my earthly father and my heavenly father is a tremendous responsibility. That's awesome, Nicholas. That's great. Uh, you know, Danielle, you asked this question. I think of kind of a, a funny story when I was in Mexico in seminary, like not knowing a lick of Spanish and living with a host family and <laughs> feeling like, you know, talk about a fish out of water. Um, there, they had a, a big family oh, you're party. You're so big too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you in Mexico? <laughs> yeah, I look very Mexican. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but like, there's this big family party that we had, and um, the fam, my host family had, and I, uh, I was at it, and I just remember like all the adults talking, like in, you know, conversations. It was loud and lots of background noise, like the impossible language, the impossible <laughs> circumstance to like yep. be able to be in a language. Right. And there's this little like five-year-old, this kindergarten girl who was there and she comes up to me and she goes, hola. And uh, I said, hola. And then um, I don't know how, but we started, she was telling me her numbers in, in English that oh she was gosh. learning in school. And I was telling her the numbers I was learning in Spanish. And I was like, this is where I am right now. This is my level yeah. of language confidence. Uh, but just like her kindness. And uh, I've often thought about that, that like the humility of children in learning, not just language, but anything. And certainly this is why Jesus holds up a little child is there's a kind of openness to being willing to make mistakes. There's a real lack of like pride that can hold us back. 
from trying new things or, or kind of entering into new circumstances. And um, the way children kind of break through that or don't have that built-in pride in the way they can learn new things and enter into relationships is a beautiful spiritual lesson for me and I think for all of us about uh, what it means to be children of our Father in Heaven. Yeah, my uh, youngest brother's best friend, who he's still best friends with, they're uh, in their late 20s. They met when they were five and they were just like, hey, do you want to be friends? Favorite, best, best part of this story is my brother Josh says, no, do you want to be buddies? And so they ended up being buddies, not friends. But um, you did. But hey, good, good for that kid. Right. And like this, this like step towards relationship. And we were talking a little bit earlier, Nicholas, um, that you you really want to emphasize you would you would, you really believe in the emphasis on the relationship with Jesus and would love to see more um, like growth and development that way for the faithful. Can you talk a little bit to us about that? What's your what's your vision on that? Uh, I mean, when it comes to relationships, there's so many cases in the Bible where we learn of people who just didn't do it alone. And that to me is, is one of the most powerful lessons of them all. There's clearly something that God built into human nature where we want to share with other people, where we want to lean, where we want to support. And the relationships that we make are, in my opinion, the things for me that have given me the most growth. Um, from relationships can come conflict, which is growth. From relationships can come stretching for things, which comes growth. Uh, the relationships that I've had in my life are the things that have propelled me uh, to grow. Oddly enough, one of the most growing times was when I had no relationships, hmm. but the relationship I had with with the Word and with God. And so I've seen, you know, both the polars of of having really good friends who were uh, dedicated to the faith as well as being on your own. Um, and just, I think I could talk for a long time about the power of relationships in my life. I want to ask you about sports because it seems like sports was a big, uh, big part of your life. Uh, you still play soccer, right? I still play soccer. Yes. So tell me about, you know, relationships. I, I think of my own life growing up in high school and just how important relationships for teammates were. Um, you know, how you were kind of in this battle together in this kind of uh, um, seeking the same thing, depending on each other. Um, but, you know, I think of how important sports can be to teach us lessons about, you know, learning how to be graceful in victory and graceful in defeat and learning how to seek a cause greater than ourselves. Uh, you know, what has sports done kind of your life as an athlete in, uh, how does that relate to your relationship with God? I am, uh, always and forever going to have sports in my life in some way. Um, I think that the thought of just being on a team, getting together with a group of individuals for a greater goal, there's, there's something so powerful, enticing and attractive about that to me. And, um, I just cannot get enough of being on a team and uh, and going towards a greater goal together. And um, and there's so much power in the journey to that greater goal as well and making each other better uh, and being held accountable by your teammates on the journey to that greater goal. And you read countless times in the Bible where God gives us the commission to go um, and together, to gather in his name. And uh, just the same way that I knew that I was parts of teams going for championships, I really feel like 
you know, especially my closest brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that I'm able, you know, to open up the word with um, consistently that we're part of a team that is uh, that is also going for a greater goal. When I was in college, I had a group of friends and we would get together on Friday nights and we had a, a meal called Veggie Vibes where we would just cook a bunch of vegetable food because we had a couple of vegetarians and we would uh, read the Bible and just, you know, kind of enjoy each other's company and and we'd get more and more people. And it started with four and grew to eight and 16. And by the time we were leaving Oakland, Veggie Vibes was like 50 people in multiple wow. apartments at the student apartments. And it was just a really, really powerful testimony to the power of relationships and uh, kind of being on a team. That's incredible. I was going to say um, something that I feel like I'm not a professional athlete, but I do enjoy working out. And I feel that there is a lot of like crossover between uh, like physical, physical work and spiritual work, right? Like you can learn a lot of lessons one from the other. Uh, the one that I can really just think of offhand is the like, it, like, a bad workout, a bad workout is better than no workout one, right? Like sometimes you can go somewhere and just like, feel like you did a terrible job that day, but it's important to show up. And I think that that's the same in prayer. Um, sometimes you just got to show up. So is there anything like that, that you're like, Hey, this is something that I learned from being an athlete that I apply to my spiritual life. Mm, it's a brilliant question. And it's such an important one to ask ourselves this question. Um, I think that, uh, just like there's so much to learn in loss as well. Um, mm. For some reason in my in my career, I've been really, really grateful to make it to a lot of championship games, but I actually have a ton of runner-up trophies. And um, I just, I'm very grateful for my career and, and I've won some cool things, but um, I definitely have a majority runner-up trophies and championship yeah. trophies. And the things that I learned in, in those losses have probably taught me more than I would have been taught in, in the wins. Um, and so when, when I apply that to, to my faith, um, gosh, so, you know, so many interesting emotions and feelings come up, but just to strive so hard for something, but fall short mm. could be, uh, incredibly, an incredible analogy just for, we could never earn the grace of God, uh, it's a gift to us. And, um, and, you know, just accepting that gift is, is enough. Um, so I've learned a lot through the through the losses, and there have been many, many losses. Yeah, you know, you've talked about the Word of God a lot, and just to connect it, to bring it to Unleash the Gospel, where, you know, the Archbishop writes about, uh, and, and we're talking about the emphasis of the Word of God um, in this movement in Detroit is, uh, you know, the, the Lord wants all of his disciples to be steeped in his Word, to know him, right? Like, so the relationship we have with God comes out of knowing the word that he's revealed. And, uh, you know, for any disciple, anyone who wants to follow Jesus, who wants to do what Jesus asks him or her to do, uh, we have to know his word. You know, when I read scripture, I think about it, it's like uh, um, we were talking earlier about the accent that uh, <laughs> that you heard in Australia. And like, <laughs> when I read the word of God, I think about it, it's mm -hmm. like God's language or, you know, I guess even like God's accent to know like, this is how God speaks. So that when I see this or hear this in other places, whether it's in the world or with other people or whether it kind of stirs up in my heart, I know what God's word sounds like. I'm used to hearing the sound of his voice because I've read his word. And so I'm more able, um, not just in the moment that I'm praying or reading his word, 
But in the rest of my life, I'm more able to know what God is asking me to do. And I'm also more able to know what is not God's word, right? So like those Mm -hmm. times of self-doubt or condemnation or whether it's with myself or other people, I can say like, okay, this is not how God speaks. I've, I've kind of drifted away or what I'm hearing someone else say is not of God. And that's not something I want to kind of let into my life. So I, I, I find, you know, reading scripture and Danielle, I don't know uh, your thoughts about this, but when I read scripture, it's about like coming to know what God's voice sounds like. That uh, a few weeks ago, it was uh, John 10, right? Was the, the scripture no passage. That's the one with Jesus, the good shepherd. That's, I know my sheep. Sorry, sorry, sorry to go all <laughs> Did the little girl teach you that? <laughs> 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 no, it's okay. I That was really good. Great work. Um, Yeah. That, so I threw you off. I'm I, sorry. Like kind of tough. <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm like, wait, do I speak in English? No. Um, (laughs) good work. So, uh, yeah, that, that concept of like knowing, knowing the voice of Jesus and and knowing how to respond to it. Super crucial. You know what, Nicholas, um, we're coming to a close. And at the end of every podcast, we ask our guests to, um, share, uh, a word or phrase with the listeners, kind of a a closing thought for them. Is there anything that you'd yeah, like to share? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, very quickly, I'd like to add on to the accent analogy because I thought it was incredibly powerful, just with a small addition to it in that what's really Period. crazy is if you go and live in another country for a couple of years, what do you come back with? Mm. Their accent, right? Yeah. And just like if you read the mm. word consistently, just like I pick up an accent and I start to act the way that that culture acts, I'll pick up the accent of Christ and the words that he puts on the page. So I thought it was a great great spot on analogy, but, um, a word takeaway, uh, for me would be gratitude. I put gratitude in the name of my nonprofit and I try to put it at the forefront of everything that I do every day. I sign every email with the salutation with gratitude. Uh, I think a grateful heart is a full heart and, um, finding the things to be grateful for in all conversations, in all moments of alone time, uh, in all environments is an incredibly powerful thing. And it's an intentional thing. Gratitude will not come as an involuntary reaction. You do have to try it. You do have to be intentional about it. But I promised anyone who who doesn't feel like they have enough gratitude in their life that if you can just try to think of the things you're grateful for, you're going to feel better. It's an attitude we have to develop. And uh, mm-hmm. Nicholas, if people want to learn more about your nonprofit, where can they find more about it? They can head to fleeceandthankyou.org and learn all about how we comfort hearts and create smiles. They can order blanket kits and make blankets themselves. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great being with you and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you guys very much. It was my pleasure. It was wonderful having Nicholas in the Open Door Policy Studio to hear about the great work that the Lord is doing in him and through him, his love for sports, and the way he is a blessing to so many people's lives. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. I got an idea. I would love to hear it. Great. 
I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Yeah.